the last three weeks, we've been in a, a series called In Search of the Real Jesus. And what we're doing is we're just we're looking at Scripture, and we're seeing what Scripture says about Jesus. Now, the first Sunday we, we talked, we talked about Jesus being God. And we just looked at what Scripture says. Uh, we looked at Jesus uh, as, as, uh, as man, the second Sunday, and how He became the last Adam. He became not just like us, He became us. Okay, He took on our flesh. He, he wasn't uh, a freak. He wasn't half and half this. He was God, 100%, and He was man, 100%. Two natures in one person. And how He came to pay for our sins and to show us how to live a life that's pleasing to God. And He had to do that. And so we looked at Him as man. Last week we looked at Jesus as Savior. And this week we're going to look at Him as Lord. And uh, all of us probably in this room have talked to someone before. And we've used the same words and the same phrases but we weren't talking about the same thing. You ever talk to somebody like that? I mean, they were speaking the same way that you were speaking. They were just saying something totally different than what you were saying. I know when I was studying in seminary, there were very often uh, I would have a professor that would be, t- you know, he'd be teaching, and he'd be using the same words that, that I knew, but his meaning wasn't the same that I've learned. And so the, the important thing that I've learned is that I have to get on, I have to use the same definition as the person I'm talking to. We have to be talking about the same thing to arrive at a place fairly close together. We don't necessarily have to agree, but at least we, we're talking about the same thing. And what happens in, in, our, in our world we live in, you'll talk to people every day that use the same words you use, but they don't mean the same thing by them. Or they don't understand what you mean by it. Uh, I thought a little bit about that, and I, I, I came up with one that I could use, and, and I chose one that was clean, and I want to use this as an illustration, but one of those words is love. Love is a very common word in our culture. Amen? Amen. Everybody loves something. Amen? Love, love carries... The, the, the real meaning of love is a tender, profound feeling or emotion, a deep affection, a romantic attachment, a fondness, or a, a passion for something. Now, our problem is, is when we take the word love and we apply it, if you'll just listen over the next week, you'll hear all kinds of uses for the word love. I love my husband. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my brother. I love my sister. I love my dog. I love my cat. I love ice cream. I love football. You're wondering why I'm a little bit hoarse this morning. I got a little bit too much football last night. I got a little too excited. I'd like to say it was uh, 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 allergies, but it's not allergies, okay? It was about 30 seconds, all right? It's probably going to be for the week. I didn't have much to cheer about, so I got it all out in those 30 seconds. But, you know, your people say, I love this. I love, I love chocolate. I love boats. I love fishing, hunting, shopping, football, baseball. You name it, there's somebody out there that loves it. Amen? The problem is is that, that the love I have for my wife and my daughter and my granddaughter is far different than the love I have for chocolate. 
or the cat <laughs> or the dog. Can okay, if you love your dog, that's okay. I'm just I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's different. I, I love my family different than I love football and baseball and, and fishing and hunting. But when we use that word, what we've done is we've used it so many times that the word has become common. And in becoming common, it's lost its meaning. And so it's not, it's not as special as it should be. As believers, we tend to use another word that way when we speak of Jesus. That we really don't understand or we really don't mean or believe. I'm afraid too many Christians, for too many Christians, it's been it's become so common in its usage that for most it's become Jesus' first name rather than who Jesus is. And that is Lord. L-O-R-D. It's not Jesus' first name, okay? It's really not. His name is Jesus. He is Lord. We kind of throw the title around, though, real often. And we don't really acknowledge or understand maybe what it means. We say, Lord Jesus, when we're praying or when we're talking. We say, Jesus is Lord, or He's my Lord, without ever thinking really about what the word Lord means. And in a real biblical sense, I want you to listen to me here. When we do that, we take the Lord's name in vain. We really do. The word you hear very often that we would say was taking the Lord's name in vain, yes, it is, okay? And it irritates me when I hear it and I bristle up. But but that's really not what God was talking about when He spoke to Moses there in Exodus chapter 7, or in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 7. He says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not leave him or her unpunished who takes his name in vain. What what God was talking about is, is taking his name in a vain way, which means an empty way or a crass way or a common way. In other words, just flipping it out there. Folks, it, it, what has happened is we, 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 we've, we have become a culture in Christianity that speaks Christianese. We speak the language of the church, but we don't have any idea of what the words really mean. And so we use them without any concern or care or honor or sacredness. And one of those words, as far as I'm concerned, is the word Lord. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is Lord. Amen? I mean, there's no argument in here, I don't think, that Jesus is Lord. But exactly what exactly that means to you and me as individuals, it may be different. And so that's why I just want to talk about this a little bit this morning. And in the process... Maybe we'll learn some things. I'm, I'm going to use some passage of Scripture, but I'm also going to use a little bit of some language and also some history. I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student of history. I love history. Because here's the thing about history. If we don't learn our history and we don't know our history, we'll repeat all the garbage in our history over and over and over again. And we are raising a generation 
folks that, that have no clue about anything other than what they see right here. What they see on the screen. Listen to me. Everything that's on the internet is not true. Hello? I'm serious. It's not all true. Anybody can get on the internet, put something out there, and all of a sudden they're an expert or an authority if somebody reads it movies. And so we've got to be very careful in training up the next generation. Or folks, what really matters will be lost. We're responsible. And so if we're responsible, we need to understand what it means. So I want to share some history with you this morning, and and I hope it it blesses you. But in the Old Testament, whenever you see the word capital L with lowercase capitals O-R-D, it'll be in all caps, but it'll be a a larger L and a smaller capital O-R-D, that's the name Yahweh, Jehovah. We would say it. Uh, that's 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 the name of God, and the reason that you read it. I've already already shared this in, in the first series or first sermon in our series. The reason you you read it is that way is because the Jews held the name of God so sacred that they wouldn't say it. They wouldn't even write it, and so they put another word in the text. So that, that they could write it and that they could say it. And that word was Adonai. And so it translates into English, Lord. But in the Hebrew text, it would be Adonai, Adonai, Adonai. Every time they would come to God, Yahweh, His covenant name, I am that I am, they would insert Adonai. One time a year, the high priest will use Yahweh, the covenant name of God, to pray. One time a year. That's how sacred God's name was. If you took that name in vain, you know what happened? I heard somebody worry that they stoned you. They were serious about the holiness and the sacredness of God's name. Now, as, as the New Testament began, as most of you know, the New Testament was written in Greek, and so the word was kurios. Kurios. K-U-R-I-O-S. That's the English way we spell it. Kurios. And it just means Lord. And 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 what that word means, that, that, new, that Greek word means, it means, it comes from a root kurio, which means supreme or supremacy. He is the one who is supreme. He's in charge. The buck stops at his desk. He is the king. He's the one who's in control. He is the one, literally, to whom a person or a thing belongs and about which that person or that thing, he has control over it. That's what the, he had ultimate control over it. That's what the word means. It, it means owner, possessor, master controller. And when it was applied to a person, it meant that this person had ultimate and complete control over a situation. He was Lord. Now, one of the earliest declarations of faith that we find in history, in the history of the church, is is three words long. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. 
One of the, the, the one of those declarations shows up in the New Testament, and it, it happens immediately a few days after Jesus had been resurrected. Most of you realize and know that Jesus appeared to the disciples several times uh, over those first few days. Uh, one of the disciples didn't happen to be there. Any of you want to hesitate to guess who it was? Thomas. Now, we call Thomas what? Doubting Thomas. That's a terrible, terrible label to stick on Thomas. Thomas was not so much a doubter. Thomas was a pragmatist. He was a, he was a realist. He's like some of us, okay? He, he didn't see Jesus. He didn't see Jesus. Now, see, we forget, they all saw Jesus. And that's why they were so excited and could tell the story that they tell. Thomas didn't get to see Jesus. And so G- Thomas said, unless I see Him and I put my fingers in those wounds, I just can't believe. It, it's, it's bigger than I am. Because let's not, let's not throw too many rocks at, at Thomas. Have we been there? We've all been the same way. Jesus loved Thomas. And Jesus had a purpose for Thomas and a plan for Thomas. So Jesus made a special appearance when Thomas was with the disciples so that Thomas could see him. And Jesus appears. And if you you know the the, the story in John chapter 20, Jesus is standing there and says, Thomas, come up here. I'm going to give you your wish. That's my translation. Put your fingers in my side. Put your fingers in my wrist. Put your fingers in the wounds. You know what Thomas did? Thomas said this, My Lord and my God. Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus. He didn't have to touch Him. He didn't have to put His fingers in those wounds. He saw Him. And folks, He said, My Lord and my God. Jesus, You are supreme. See, Thomas had never met anyone who had been resurrected who had come back from the dead in the way that Jesus came back from the dead. Thomas was declaring that Jesus was supreme, that Jesus was His Master, that Jesus was His owner, and that Thomas was a servant. Those are words that for us are are strange. Amen? Any of you got a master? I don't mean God. Let's don't be real religious here right now. Let's just be real. Any of you call anybody master? Don't look at your wife or your husband. We don't. Not a good idea. But the word master and the word servant, the word slave and the word lord, those are words that are that that kind of cut against the grain, don't they? Let's just be honest. We're Americans. Amen. We pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We can get it done if if we work hard enough. Amen. That's, that's basically the, the, the DNA of our country. But folks, because of that, we really don't understand what those words mean. And we really don't understand what Lord truly means. Now, in Scripture, the word God and the word Lord are synonymous. They're the same. They mean the same thing. But sadly, that's not true in the life of every believer. A lot of believers want Jesus to be their Savior. That is, they want Him to save them from their sins or their situations. 
But do we really want Him to occupy the place of Lord in our lives? That means if He's Lord, He's in control. That means that that He's in charge. That means that He's giving the orders, not us. He's giving the directions. You know, if we were really honest this morning, many of us live our lives in direct opposition of what we profess with our mouth. We'll say Jesus is Lord, but we don't live as though Jesus is Lord. We want Jesus instead to be our servant. I want you to listen to me. We want Him to do what we want Him to do. We demand that He do those things, and you know what we call it? Prayer. Prayer. We tell God what to do. Folks, that's not prayer. That's arrogance. That's unbelief. We want Jesus to be our servant. And we want Jesus to be our Savior, but not Lord. Now listen to me. You cannot have it both ways. Jesus, if He is not Lord, He is not Savior. Okay, now that's that's what I believe and that's where I stand. Okay, I believe that's what Scripture teaches. When I was in Bible college in the 90s, there was this huge debate uh, within the, 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 the group of folks that, that I was studying with. Can Jesus be Savior and not be Lord? Well, folks, the Bible knows nothing about that. A lot of books were written. A lot of ink was wasted. Jesus is Lord. We don't make Him Lord. He is Lord. Amen. He has always been Lord, Amen. and He will always be Lord. That's right. Okay, you'll hear me say that again. Now, we surrender to His Lordship and we confess Him with our mouth and we believe in our heart that He's done what He's done and He becomes our Savior. Okay, He is Savior and Lord. He is Lord and Savior. He is not either or. If He's not Lord, He's not Savior. Okay, we're clear on that because I'm going to say it over and over and over. And if you disagree with me, Form a line and, <laughs> and whatever, okay? If Jesus is not the Lord, He's not your Savior. Okay? That's just the bottom line. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord... Now that's not just to say the words, okay? That's to say it with your mouth and with your life. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. What did you have to confess? Okay, if you don't confess Jesus is Lord, then guess what? Paul says you're not saved. If He's not Lord of your life, He's not Savior of your life. Now, it's the public confession of Jesus is Lord in word and lifestyle that proves whether or not a person truly knows Jesus Christ and is known by Christ. You know, we can know about Jesus, but if Jesus doesn't know us, we're in trouble. If our words and our actions don't match up, if, if, if one doesn't bear the other out, then there's a problem. 
You cannot say Jesus is Lord if your lifestyle does not testify that He's Lord. Because if your lifestyle doesn't testify that He's Lord, He's not Lord in your life. He's not Lord in that area. To say one thing and to do another is called what? Hypocrisy. In, in the ancient world, a hypocrite, we would call somebody who says one thing and does another a hypocrite. Amen? You ever heard that? Well, I'm not, I can't come to your church because so-and-so is there and they do this. And, you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, okay. We, we, but in the ancient world, a hypocrite was an actor. It was someone who played a part. It was someone who wore a mask while they were on stage. When they came off stage, they took the mask off. Folks, it's, it's the perfect word for someone who can who says Jesus is Lord, but who doesn't live a lifestyle. They're playing a part. They're acting. Folks, the world's full of actors. And the sad thing is, the lost people are watching the actors far more closely than they're watching those to whom Jesus really is Lord. And you know why? Because there's not a lot of difference between the actors and the people that are watching. If they can do that, I can do that. And what happens is, Lord loses its meaning. And you go a couple of generations, and guess what? It's gone. Now, I know you know this, but it will cost you to follow Jesus as Lord. Salvation is free. Amen? Jesus paid the price for our salvation. We don't work to gain our salvation, but if you follow Jesus as your Lord, in other words, if you surrender to Him, and you make Him your boss, your master, folks, it will cost you. It will put you in opposition to a lot of things. You will stand by yourself from time to time. You'll stand alone. In fact, it'll cost you the control of everything. If Jesus is your Lord, then He's in charge, you're not. Now, let me let me just be let me ask you to be real honest. How many of you that scares you to death? Right, right. I mean, I'm not in charge anymore. God is. That's a scary place. But can I tell you something? I would much rather be in that scary place than to be the God of my own life and be in charge. Because to be honest with you, I'm not omnipotent, omniscient, or omnipresent. I can't do anything to make anything happen. I can't even make my next breath come. I don't have that much power. Folks, He's master of our fate, not us. If He's really the Lord of our lives today, folks, He's our boss. That means we give up all our rights. We give up all our demands. We give up what we want to follow Him to do what He wants us to do. That means when we do it, Jesus is Lord. Now, for some reason, that truth has been lost in most of the church. But in the early church, in those early years, they understood it, and they understood it perfectly. They understood what professing Jesus as Lord meant. They understood the cost that they might be forced to pay. 
And it would do us well to, to, to remember that cost because whether you believe this or not, the world of the first century and the world of the 21st century have come strangely back in place and they're the same. They're not a lot different. In fact, we would probably do pretty well in the first century without cell phones and computers and all that stuff. The thought process and and the belief systems are a lot the same. Now, we would struggle with the servants and the slaves and the master thing because we just don't understand it, but they understood that concept because in their world, there were probably 85 to 90% of the world population were slaves or servants. 10% were the masters, the lords. And so they understood what it meant to be a servant or a slave and what it meant to be a master. It was very common in, in their culture. And, and servants and slaves didn't argue. They just did what they were commanded to do. They acted on the commands of their master. In fact, a slave was considered a living tool, just like a hammer or a screwdriver, an inanimate object in your toolbox. That's the way uh, the lords looked at their servants and their slaves. They were living tools. And they they were to do whatever it was the master wanted. And the majority of the world at that time was slaves. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, we've pretty much returned to that place in our beliefs and our behavior. Uh, Whether you realize this or not, everybody is a servant or a slave of something. I don't care if you live in India or you live in Alabama. We serve something. Either we serve God or we serve something else. I found out years ago when I went in plumbing business, I was kind of tired of having a boss. I could be my own boss. Only problem was, I owned the company. I did all the work. If I didn't work, there was no money, but I wasn't the boss. There were some people that I didn't even know higher up in government that were my boss. And they made sure that I mailed them checks on a regular basis. And if I didn't, guess what? They put me in jail. So ultimately, I wasn't the boss. Amen? I don't care what place you're at in life, you have a boss. You have someone who is Lord over you. It's it's, it's, it's the world we live in. Now, we've returned to the first century in a lot of ways, a lot of beliefs and a lot of behaviors. And that's why I think it's so important that we understand why Jesus is Lord and why it's so important. The early Christians believed it. They declared it. They lived it out. They died for it. It was that important. Folks, listen to me. It was not their words that turned the world upside down in less than 300 years. They went from a group of just a handful in the backwoods of Nazareth, which was in the the backwoods of, of, of Judea, I mean Galilee, in the backwoods of Israel, to the major moving force in the world of that day. They turned the Roman Empire upside down in less than 300 years. They didn't do it by standing on a corner with picket signs. They did it by living out the fact that Jesus was the Lord in their life. Their lifestyle was different. 
their words were different. They lived a life. They lived the life of Jesus out in their actions and their attitudes, and, and, and it caused problems. Now, what you need to understand is the early Christians weren't rebellious. They weren't rebels. In fact, a lot of the Roman historians said they're the best citizens we have. They feed the sick, the poor. They 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 minister to the sick. They go to the prisons and visit those that that, that are are in prison. They do good things. They just will not declare that Caesar is Lord. They just wouldn't do it. And so what happened is is persecutions arose. They wouldn't get along, or go along to get along. Do you, you know what I'm saying? They, they wouldn't go along with what was expected of them just to get along in their society. They chose to take a stand on a belief that they would not compromise. And that one belief was three words. Jesus is Lord. In Greek, it's two words. Kurios Jesus. Kurios Christos. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is... Or, or, or Christ is Lord. That was their declaration of faith. And these early believers, they lived in a world where religion wasn't exclusive, it was inclusive. And, 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 or excuse me, it was in exclusive instead of inclusive. Well, no, let me get it right. One, one, one kicks you out, the other one drags you in. Okay. It was inclusive, not exclusive. Now, we believe in, in one God which is rather exclusive when you, when you sit down and look at it. He, his monotheistic belief is one God. There's not a lot of gods. They lived in a world where there was all kind of gods. There was gods behind every rock, crook, and cranny, in the branch, in the in villages. There, all kind, there were millions and millions of gods. And, and, and that meant that you could worship all kind of different ways. And so it was a very inclusive religion. It included everything. The people worshipped a multitude of gods. But you know what? These early Christians refused to do that. They wouldn't offer sacrifice at, at, at the city temple, which honored the God of this city or the God of, of, of this country. They wouldn't do that. Their testimony, which was in word, but it was also in deed, kind of went against the grain. Their faith was exclusive. Jesus is Lord. Now, we live in a, you know, that doesn't say a lot to us because, you know, it's pretty common belief in America that, that there's one God. But you know what? It's not nearly as common as you think. I'll never forget working with a young man on a plumbing job. He worked, he worked for the company I worked for, and he worked with me. He lived in Alabama all his life. He'd never heard of Jesus. Oh, he heard the Word. I'm not going to tell you what he thought Jesus did and how he got his, you know, his visions and stuff. It was it was pretty interesting, but he, he didn't know anything about Jesus. And he dawned on me that day. You know what? There are people that live around here that have never heard about Jesus. I thought everybody knew who Jesus was. Plus, we live in a country where all kinds of things are worshipped, and and the reality of it is, our country has become very inclusive. It's okay if we're Christians and we worship God as long as we don't stand up against the worship of everything else. 
you understand what I'm saying? I don't think I have to go very far. But all of a sudden, we've become intolerant. Tolerant means you accept me the way I am, and that's just the way it is. I can believe what I want, you can believe what you want. Well, that's not the definition of tolerant. But that's the definition that our, our nation has been. We've become much like the first century. We have become a, 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 a culture that worships all kinds of gods. Now, you just think about the gods that are worshipped in our nation today. Money. Sex. Drugs. Prestige. Recreation. Power. Beauty. Self. That may be the greatest, or the largest God that's worshipped in our nation is self. And so what has happened is we've returned to the first century. Now, in the first century, everybody was expected to follow the religious practices of their culture. Uh, you were expected to persist, participate whether you believed it or not. You understand with me? You go to temple. You, you do this, you do this, you go home and do whatever you want. In fact, as long as you would do that, you could worship anything you wanted to worship. And so, the majority of the people went through the motions. They went to the temple. If you did so, you could practice anything you wanted. Whether you believed it or not, didn't really matter. Now, folks, we live in a culture that's beginning to dictate that we do that. And, folks, there are a lot of people meeting this morning in churches all over this country. They're going through motions. They're sitting down, they stand up, they sing three songs, they have a sermon, they have a prayer, an invitation, they go home. They go through, they're not, they're not, but they're not engaged in it. And when they get out of that and they go out into the world, they live like they want to live and they do what they want to do. And that's not a lot different than what was happening in the first century. There was no such thing as truth. What you believe is okay. What I believe is okay. Now, that, that was the first century. That's, that's where we're at today in our world. In other words, as long as you go along, and you get along, go along, you can get along. And that was, that was the mindset. Private beliefs were allowed. In other words, you could believe whatever you wanted to believe as long as what you believed didn't create any public disorder. As long as when you, when you talked about what you believed in, there wasn't any riots. Or there wasn't any uproars. The idea was that you could believe anything you wanted to as long as you didn't create any waves. Hey, we're there. Okay? If you don't think so, you ought to read some of the laws that they have passed already in Canada just across the border. Okay? And, there, and, and, the, and the border is not is, is slowly dropping south. Okay? Ethics were not regarded as part of religion. In other words, what you say and what you do didn't have to match. Guess what? We're there. We're there. Your personal beliefs and your public practice were not expected to match. 
You were just expected to go through the motions, and then you could do whatever you wanted. Now, that's where our nation's at. And that's where much of the church is at. I was watching the vice president debate, and the vice president of our country was asked a very pointed question. So was the, the gentleman running against him. The other gentleman answered the question and said, this is what I believe and this is where I'm going to stand. The vice president answered it like a first century person would. He said, this is my beliefs, but you know what? I can't force my beliefs on anybody else, so therefore, you know what? I want to support this in public. Well, folks, if you are not willing to die for a belief, it's not worth having. Amen. Now, I'm not taking the, the vice president to task. I'm just saying... This is where we are in our culture. It's go along to get along. It's no longer about beliefs. It's no longer about ethics. You can say one thing and and you can do another. We've returned to the first century. And yet, 26 years after Jesus was crucified and He was resurrected, the testimony of the early church was this, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And what happened is, is it brought them into direct opposition with the world in which they lived in. The, the, the rocks began to rub. You understand what I'm saying? It got uncomfortable. Every year, if you were a part of the Roman Empire. And at that time in the world, everybody in the civilized world was a part of the Roman Empire. Every year, one time a year, you had to go to the procreator, the governor, whoever the city official was in your town. And you had to take a pinch of incense and you had to burn it and you had to declare that Kaiser, Curias Kaiser, Caesar is Lord. And so everybody in the community, once a year, lined up. They went by the little incense pot, got up a pinch, pinched it on the fire. Caesar is Lord, went about their business. No problem. Whether they believed it or not, it was a test of allegiance in their in their in their in their in their country. It's it's like I pledge allegiance when we do that with a flag. So they would do that. And they would do that every year. The problem is, the Christians wouldn't do it. It was expected, okay? If you didn't do it, you were arrested. You were seen as a, as, as a rebel, as, a, as in rebellion, as an insurrectionist. You were dangerous. The Christians were in line and they would say, hey, I cannot say. Kaiser Kurios. Kurios Jesus, Kurios Christos, Jesus is Lord. Folks, there's nowhere to hide. There was no doing one thing and saying another, because when you said those words, you were arrested. Your goods, your homes, your children were taken. You were put in prison. And folks, thousands and thousands and thousands of people just like us. Businessmen, businesswomen, mothers, fathers, 
papas, nannies, children, were slaughtered for two simple words. Kurios Yesus. I was reading this week. There's a, one of my favorite stories. And I, every time I, I begin to study about Jesus being Lord, I, I, I'm reminded of this. There was an old man, his name was Polycarp. Polycarp. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. He is, he is our only connection to the apostles, a, a literal guy. He, was a church, he, he became a bishop in the church at Smyrna. Polycarp was 86 years old. And the emperor demanded that everybody burn the incense and declare that, that he was Lord. And Polycarp said, I can't do it. And so the proconsul, he, he was in a dilemma because he knew Polycarp. Polycarp was a godly man. The city loved Polycarp. And yet his duty demanded that either Polycarp recant and declare that Caesar's Lord or that Polycarp die. Now, we're talking a papa here, okay? We're talking a white-haired old man, the 86 years old. Gentle and kind. They went back and forth. There's a lot of dialogue, but basically what Polycarp said was, 80 and 6 years have I served. Four score and 6 years have I served. How could I say anything else? And he told the proconsul, do what you have to do. And they tied Polycarp to a stake because they had already closed the games for the day or they would have fed him to the wild beasts. And they burned him at the stake. There's a lot of stories about it. Ultimately, the fire built a halo around Polycarp, a tradition goes. And finally, one of the soldiers plunged a sword into it and killed him. Folks, that's what it cost the early church to believe. They lost everything over two words. They would not go along to get along. They would not go along to get along. To refuse to declare that Caesar was Lord was was considered rebellion. It, It threw their culture into chaos. They couldn't allow that. And so what they tried to do was to destroy the church. But you know what? You can't kill people who are already dead. You can't kill a man or a woman that believes Jesus is Lord and is willing to die for that belief. Folks, if it's not willing to die for, it's not worth living for. Either Jesus is Lord or He's not in your life. Okay? Thousands and thousands of these these early Christians were... They were crucified. Many of them were crucified. If you were a Roman citizen, they could they didn't crucify you. They cut your head off. Remember Peter? Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was not crucified. Paul was decapitated. He was a Roman soldier. Many of them were thrown into the into the arenas where the gladiators fought. And they cut them down. They were defenseless. Men, I've got a picture. And one of these days, if I ever have an office again, then we'll put it up there because every morning I looked at that picture. It's a picture of an early group of Christians in the, in the, in the Roman arena. And they're huddled and they're praying and there's little boys and little girls and mamas and daddies 
and grandmas and grandpas all in this huddle. And the tour, the, the stadium is lit by not lights, but by Christians that are wrapped in pitch and set on fire. And the lions and the tigers are coming up and they're about to destroy those Christians. I, I want to be reminded of where my roots are. Folks, the blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church. Now, we don't know anything about persecution. And one of the reasons is we don't know anything about Jesus is Lord. We don't really understand what that means. They were willing to die rather than go against their convictions. They understood what it meant to be servants. and They understood what it meant to be slaves of Jesus. And they were willing uh, to, 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 to give that belief life by giving their lives. And some people might call that waste. They might call that stupid. All they had to do was say, Caesar is Lord. And they could worship any way they wanted. Folks, they wouldn't do it. And the ones that did do it were excluded. They were not they could worship on the outside, but they couldn't come in with those that had stood the test until they repented. Until they did what was needed to be done. These men and these women had truly met Jesus, folks, and they had surrendered every part of their lives to him. He was truly their Lord and their Savior. Now, the reality of it is every day, every one of us are faced with the same decision over and over and over. We can declare that Jesus is Lord or we can declare that something else is Lord in our life. Well, listen to me. You can't say one thing and live another way. Either your lifestyle and your words match up or something's wrong. In other words, if you say one thing and you live out something else, you deny that Jesus is Lord. Folks, these early believers chose to die rather than to deny Jesus. And they were justified. Their deeds were justified. Theirs was a faith that knew nothing about a Savior without a Lord. They didn't just, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I can do whatever I want. That that was not the early church. They They didn't live that way. They didn't believe that way. When they gave their life to Jesus, He was their Lord. They were willing to live their lives for Him no matter what it required because they really believed that He was supreme. That He was God. That He was Master. That He was Sovereign. That He was Owner. That He was Lord of their life. They no longer retained any control over their life. Therefore, they were willing to give their lives up. In other words, I... How many of you know I? I was no longer in charge. You know what? You can't kill a man or a woman like that. You can't wipe out what they have. Folks, people don't die. They don't die for for beliefs they don't really believe. I tell you right now, those Muslim guys that push the button to blow themselves up, they really believe they're headed to paradise. That's why they do it. Our God doesn't ask us to push a button. Lord sets up. He just asks us to surrender. To give ourselves up. Now, I mentioned this earlier and I'm going to mention it again and I'm going to close. The difference between the church of the first century and the church of the 21st century is huge. 
they turned the world up in, 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 in the time of 300 years. And what we have, folks, is an ineffective brand, a cheap knockoff of what they had. I'm not condemning you. I'm saying this to me, too, okay? They saw Jesus move in power. We preach about it and sing about it and pray for it. But we don't see Him move in power. Not like they saw it. You know why? Because Jesus was Lord. And they're like, they had surrendered everything to Him. It's time, folks, it's time for the church to match her lifestyle with her confession. To be who she says she is. I mentioned this earlier. Jesus, and I want to say this, Jesus is Lord by virtue of the fact that He is God. Amen? Amen. Jesus is God, therefore He is Lord. Nobody in this room makes Jesus Lord. That's a nice way of giving an invitation and saying something, but you don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. He has been Lord since the very beginning, and folks, He will be Lord when it's all gone. He is Lord. We surrender. We give up. We throw our hands up and say, Yes, Lord, You are who You say You are. We acknowledge that He's Lord. You know, the Bible says every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. I'm going to say it again. Listen to me. We don't make Him Lord. He is Lord. We surrender. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 through 11 says this, Therefore, and that therefore is because Jesus came and took on our flesh. And God, He united God with man forever. He put on our skin and became one of us. Therefore, God highly exalted Him. Therefore, because He died for our sins. Therefore, God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Folks, that is inclusive. Every creature, every creature, angel, demon, man, and woman will one day bow the knee and will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. It will be a wholesale declaration that Jesus is who He says He is. There won't be one, folks. Not one that won't bow. Not Lucifer will bow. And out of His black mouth will come the words, Jesus, You are Lord. See, He knows it here. But He's done everything He can to destroy it. Here. But one day He will bow. And folks, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is Lord. Folks, if that confession of your heart, if that's the confession of your heart, make it the expression of your life. If you confess it, express it, live it. God has called us to be expressions of Him. Everywhere we go. 
15 minutes after you leave here, if it's that long, you'll have an opportunity to either deny or to confess Jesus as Lord. Either in a thought or an action or in a word. All over this area, people go to restaurants today and they'll have their Sunday attire on and they'll look really good and they'll have their bulletins stuck in their pockets. And when that little waitress comes and she's overwhelmed with customers, and she's looking for a Jesus who is Lord and who's Savior. They'll deny Jesus in the presence of being ugly to her. Tons of people will go to Walmart today. And they'll go to the garden center. And they won't say a word to the guy that's standing out to make sure nobody steals anything. They'll walk right by him. And they'll deny that Jesus is Lord. It's really easy to deny. We deny him in our actions, in our attitudes far more often than we deny Him in our words. Folks, Jesus is Lord. If He's Lord, then make it the expression of your life. Now listen to me. If you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus today, in other words, you've never made Him boss, you're still trying to run your life. You're still trying to do things the way you think it ought to be done. Just give up. Because the way you think it needs to be done and the way God's going to do it are probably two different directions. And Jesus is willing to take everything that you are and exchange give you everything that He is. I just have to believe in my heart that God's raised Him from the dead. That's pretty simple. And confess with my mouth. And the confession is because of a belief that He is who He says He is. He'll do what He says He'll do. Folks, it's time for us to get back to the place where we express and live out what we confess. Or it's worthless. It's worthless. Just to listen to this, and I'm going to close with this, and we have a time of, of ministry and a time of uh, invitation. Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy these words in, in 1 Timothy 6, chapter 15 and 16. He's talking about Jesus. He says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in an approachable light. Folks, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. One of these days, Scripture says that the eastern skies are going to break open. And Jesus is going to return. And we will see Him for who He is. The disciples, they saw the man. Before one of these days, we're going to see God in the man. We're going to see the light. We're going to see the beauty. It's not going to be what we think it's going to be. And you know what's going to happen? I dropped down there if I could. I'm afraid I'll hurt myself and can't get back up. But it's going to be just like that. Everything's going to drop. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And in unison, this is what you're going to hear. Jesus, you are. Now, folks, here's the deal. We can can confess Him as Lord today. 
will be made to confess him as Lord then. And those that have not confessed him won't go where he's gone. See, God didn't create hell for believers. He created it for the devil and his angels. But there will be men and women who choose to go to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. Men and women choose, and boys and girls choose to go because they refuse to accept Him as Lord. You say, Nelson, that's pretty bold. You know what, this Bible. And I'm at that place in my life where, you know what, I don't want anybody's blood on my head. i got enough blood that I'll have to answer for and enough things to, to answer for. I want you to know I need to understand that the Lordship of Christ is the key. It's the key. If, if I make Jesus Lord, if, in other words, if I surrender Him, I don't make Him, but if I surrender to Him, then everything else will fall into place. He'll work out the rest of my life. It's, it's the key. It's the crux. Folks, we got all kind of garbage out there. You can believe this way. You can do this and that. You can get to heaven this way. There's one way to heaven. He is the the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. You will go through Jesus as Lord. Or folks, you won't go. It's, it's just that simple. Let's pray. Father, let's really sense it. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.